name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the things that I did while on sabbatical last year was spend some time digging into my family's genealogy. What I learned about myself through this family exploration is that very often there are deeply woven things into our being that only take on language as we tell the story of where we've been and how we got there. Today marks a special day in the liturgical calendar that has been celebrated for less than 100 years in Christian history. In response to the vitriol and violence of World War I, Pope Pius XI created today's liturgical holiday, Christ the King Sunday. And then it wasn't until 1970 that that, moved, that holiday moved from October to the end of the season after Pentecost, just before we enter Advent. The efforts of this day was to invite Christians to see beyond the violence and the rhetoric of war toward a Christ that became king, not by conquering peoples in their darkest moments of their lives, but by meeting them where they were. The hungry, the poor, the oppressed, the imprisoned, these are with whom Christ was especially concerned. And since then, today, Christ the King Sunday, has been a day to ground ourselves in the true kingship of Christ. But to confess something, at least for me, my whole family system is deeply formed by abandoning all kings and queens. My people settled in the foothills of Appalachia a hundred years ago or more. My family history work invited me to realize that the discomfort that I might feel around royalty or even social class and wealth, these are not ideas that I plucked out of nowhere because I like them. Rather, they are the byproduct of deep familial roots and stories told and untold about where we've been, where we are, and where we might be going. Maybe this is why the kingship language around Christ feels a little off to me. Last week in his sermon, Father Steve invited you to add a word to your theological vocabulary. Icky. And I have a less useful but equally important phrase to add to that vocabulary. Atonement theory. It's not as funny, but it's very important. Atonement theory is like these deeply woven stories of my family's history. Whether we know the story of how we believe what we believe or not, each Christian, each of you, holds a particular atonement theory. It's an explanation of who Christ was and what Christ came to do. Atonement theories attempt to explain why and how Christ atones for our sins. And maybe for some of you, even asking the question, why and how does Christ atone for our sins, feels a little icky. 
The theory that accompanied me for so much of my early life was one that posed the an, an answer to this question by claiming that the whole point of the cross was so that Christ could subvert the wrath of God. And I don't even think anybody ever articulated that to me directly. But I'm deeply convicted that more is caught than taught when it comes to faith formation. And I was surrounded by narratives of God as a vengeful, wrath-filled God. And the only thing that stood between me and eternal damnation was the blood of Christ. So early on in my faith formation, I would have said that my sense of atonement theory was that Christ died on the cross to save humanity from God. But this does not align with what I know to be true about the Trinity or Christ or even the world. Because the idea that it was the wrath of God that drove Christ to the cross is far less plausible to me than it was the idea that it was the wrath of humanity that did so. Maybe your own atonement theory aligns with the wrath of God, and I genuinely believe that not all of us have to have the same answer to articulating why Christ died on the cross. They are only theories. We do our best guess. So I want you to take a moment, and not for the Episcopal Church, not for Christ Church, not for your family name, but to you. Why did Christ, the Son of God, die on the cross? When I let my mind wander about this question, I realize that my personal atonement theory is one that actually finds its home directly on Christ the King Sunday as we stand on the cusp of Advent. Because I believe in a mix between the incarnational atonement and Christus Victor. Incarnational atonement is the belief that Christ came not just to be born of a virgin and to die on a cross, but also to live a radical and compelling life, which so upset the wrath of humanity that they would rather murder the Christ than face the inclusion and care that he proclaimed. And Christus Victor is the belief that Christ is victorious over all evil and death. And I don't know what comes to mind for you when you hear Christus Victor, but for me, a movie poster-like image comes to mind of all of an amalgamation of all the Christ figures I've seen through all media. And Christ is wearing a military helmet from first century Rome, and there's fire and smoke behind him, and he's got a grimace on his face. That is what we think of Victor tends to be. But the difference between what we might imagine to be a victor or a king 
and Christ the King is kind of the whole point of today. Christ came into this world in the most fragile and chaotic way imaginable. He lived as a Jewish person, often persecuted by the powerful and wealthy of the time. So to me, Christus Victor is an atonement theory that's less about Christ winning and more about the truth that today brings to us. That for Christ to truly be the king, many of the assumed realities of this world must be turned upside down. Because Christ is not a king of gilded castles and bejeweled thrones sitting on a lofty uh, throne, but rather Christ the king is in a prison cell or sleeping next to someone on the street. So the question that Christ the King Sunday asks of us is what does it mean for our faith that the one we follow is not the king of wealth and power and privilege, but of the poor and the sick and the imprisoned? What does it mean for our faith to be guided not by the kings of history, but by Christ the King. I believe that it means that we are called to a life that is deeply invested in the liberation of all. We're called to a life of faith that is moved first and foremost by compassion. And we're called to a life of faith that celebrates the arrival of a stranger. To celebrate Christ the King is to truly celebrate the truth of the kingdom of God. That all who find themselves hungry or imprisoned or exiled will experience the true love of God, but only with Christ as King. Amen.